0: m and k talk ya now presents dreams of gods and monsters part one of the daughter of smoke and Bone trilogy by lonnie taylor to MNK Talk YA.
1: I'm Marissa Snyder. And I'm Katie Bradford. And this is our YA Fiction Podcast.
0: And this week we read the first half of Dreams of Gods and Monsters, which is the third book in the Daughter of Smoke and Bone trilogy by Lonnie Taylor. That means we read up to chapter 42, The Worst. Which is also the section that says Arrival plus 48 Hours.
1: Yes, we did. And I really, really liked this first half of this third book because we have some new characters. The stakes jumped so much, too.
0: Like, we. Yeah. Like, when you go back to the first book and you're thinking it's like this, you're already thinking it's this war in another universe, essentially, between like two races of, you know, one's like angels, a bunch of different races of these half human, half animal aspects demon like creatures or whatever but like that already seems like really high
1: stakes and now i feel like all of, <laughs> there's so many other layers
0: on it right now
1: i know because now the angels have invaded the human world and the human world is freaking out mm-hmm. and we have this new kind of character set up with Eliza who's a research fellow at the Smithsonian and something's up with her yeah she's has these crazy night
0: terrors That she's been having, like, since she was a kid to the point where she had to have a pacemaker and, like, put in for her cardiac arrhythmia or whatever back when she was, like, six or something ridiculous.
1: They were that bad. The nightmares are that bad. And
0: they're still so terrifying. I mean, like, she's had them, uh, I forget how old she is, but for however many years, 20-some odd years or something, I'm guessing, and, or maybe not quite that much, but still. And it's the same dream over and over again, and she's still, like, reacting to this point where she has a horror movie scream in the middle of the night. (laughs) (laughs)
1: yeah and she needs nightmare ice cream (laughs) i like that concept a lot yeah of having like nightmare ice cream to calm you down but her nightmares are so weird because they're these monsters but i don't really know what she means by monsters because you know to the angels chimera are monsters but we know because we know the chimera that they're not really monsters so when she says monster i just it's such a relative term now within these books that i really have no idea what she's talking about
0: Well, yeah, and she, I mean,
1: at first we're kind of led to believe that
0: it might have been chimera-like stuff because she's hearing the angels talk about beasts coming and all, you know, Mm -hmm. and then she's, she actually goes to the uh, mass grave that they left behind and sees the carcasses of all the non-flying chimera and whatnot, but once she sees them, she's like, oh, this is nothing, this is actually kind of cool, like, compared to what is in her head, that is not what she, it's a whole different level.
1: (laughs) Right. And it's so weird too because it seems like she's not um she's not really concerned with the fact that other people are um amazed by the idea of that there might be a parallel worlds. She seems almost to be like, "Yep, I know that there are parallel worlds and there are more than what you think." Like it seems like she almost comes from a parallel world and that's why she wasn't surprised when she saw the chimera and she saw the angels.
0: Well she says one of the last things she says was, "I've seen other universes,
1: I've been to them and I destroyed mm-hmm. them. yeah. so I'm like super curious where she came from and and what her history is. but I love that I that idea when she was saying, is it is it just a matter of semantics whether we call these parallel worlds heaven or hell yeah, you know like they exist, and we maybe apply certain language to them to try and understand them better. I don't know. I, I also liked when she sees Ziri's body, and they're kind of describing him as, like, they uncovered a demon. Yeah.
0: Like a stereotypical, what, you know, people might think of as a demon.
1: Yep. Yeah, but it was so kind of jarring to me, because they always describe Ziri as so elegant and so beautiful Mm -hmm. and, like, so arresting to watch. And so it was strange to me to hear someone call him a demon. But then I was like, oh, he does have stereotypical demon aspects. Like, he has bat wings and he has cloven hooves and he has horns. And that is what you think of a demon, as a demon having, mm-hmm. but he's just so beautiful. Like it never occurred to me to ever call him a demon or a devil or something evil because he's so beautiful.
0: I agree. And I mean, we know he's the same thing that magical was and we never think of her as a demon. Either. You know, like when it's like all about like perspective and how you describe it. But once, once they did kind of tell that description of his body from that point of view, you are kind of like, oh, I see how that could be perceived that way. But also, Mm -hmm. it's not. And I also think it's interesting, you know, they're talking about kind of the political impact of finding these demons in like, the Muslim world versus the
1: angels showing up in Rome and like, right? Yeah. And the consequences of that, just on a worldwide perspective, Mm -hmm. and even, like, when they were saying we should treat the angels as an alien invasion, Mm -hmm. and Eliza was like, no, because if aliens invaded the world, they would unite us. Yeah. But... Having such a religious context, it has the power to divide everyone because religion can be so dividing. And it has been
0: in all of history. So, yeah. That's yep. a,
1: so, actually, that's kind of funny that you mentioned that because I was
0: really interested in that whole like, what are our protocols for alien invasion? <laughs> <Okay. laughs> and I don't know, have you seen, I, I can't remember what that movie was that came out like last year where, um, like a linguist. Arrival? To, yeah, Arrival, and they like, oh, you know, so they movie. brought, they had like protocols in that movie and stuff, so I was kind of like, I feel like, you know, you talk about the small sci-fi films and whatnot, what is actually out there, and I couldn't find a lot, and I am hoping that's partially because it's just top secret, and we do have plans for these things, and they're <laughs> not out there, or my googling skills are not up to par, but um, one thing that there is, there's this SETI-SC ETI Detection Protocol. I'm trying to remember what that stands for. Um, anyways, basically, if we all these different countries are trying to communicate with aliens or, like, sending things out into space. And if anyone mm-hmm. hears back, there's this protocol where you basically are supposed to, like, double check that you're actually getting a response. Like, don't, you know... If you get a weird beep, it doesn't necessarily mean someone's communicating with you. And then you're supposed to communicate with other researchers from a lot of these prominent organizations like the UN or whatever. And you're not supposed to respond until you've had an international consultation about what you're going to broadcast back. Oh, that's smart. So yeah, but that's also like the vaguest protocol ever. Like there's no (laughs) governing body for that. There's no like, I can just imagine like someone's like, oh, someone's just said hi, like, you know. I'm gonna respond. Real I would quick. be freaking out. <laughs> or I don't I mean, but just like there's no real like that's like not much of a protocol basically. Yeah, it's kinda like a guideline or like it reminds me <laughs> of that Pirates of the Caribbean line or something. Yeah. <laughs> but um I guess there were was, just guidelines. Yeah. A Russian signal or the Russians thought that they had a signal that now they believe was created by humans somehow, but basically they said nobody really cared about the protocol when that happened, so it's, like, not a good sign going forward. it just went out forward. the window. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, did you even read that um, zombie apocalypse plan that the Pentagon released like, oh,
0: a few years ago? I didn't actually read it, but I remember, I mean, I remember reading about it, but I never actually read it.
1: <laughs> I, it just made me laugh so hard, because it's, like, I mean, it's a plan for how to handle, like, large-scale operations in case of a catastrophic event, but... They used zombies as the um, scenario just because they knew if it leaked that people wouldn't freak out. Like they wouldn't think it was real. That's <laughs> and, so funny. Which is smart. Yeah. But I was just reading through it and it was talking about like the different zombies that they might come across and how to handle each of them. <laughs> and they had like, Pathogenic zombies, space zombies, radiation zombies, <laughs> evil magic zombies. <laughs> evil magic zombies. <laughs> yeah. And it just, I just remember that. It made me laugh so hard. Well, But I think, like, the methods of it are pretty much the same. It's just they needed to use something completely fictitious so people wouldn't freak out, like, War of the World style.
0: Well, and, <laughs> and that kind of goes to Morgan's point or whatever. Like, it doesn't really matter what it is. If we don't know what it is, it's like an alien, and we should treat it like we don't know what it is. Just because it looks like an alien. You know, but again, you get into this. Like, if it looks like angels are coming down and talking to the Pope, there's going to be people who think angels are
1: coming down and talking
0: to the Pope. Like, sure. You know, I mean, it's those are optics that are hard to be like, no, these are aliens from another world.
1: And how funny that they're showing it's like so over the top. They have white robes and harps.
0: Well, and that's because <laughs> they've so got Rasgut, or whatever his name is, yeah. on their side. It, it's also interesting because he has, he's in a very powerful position, and he knows it, and he doesn't mm-hmm. have anything to lose, and he is probably going to cause some serious problems for everybody. I think
1: so. <laughs> if, if, if. We wouldn't count when he's done already as a serious problem. There's yeah. <laughs> I had a question for you, actually. Go ahead. So if they were talking about, like, if aliens did invade, I was wondering, like, who would you want to send to greet them? Like, who would you want to pick as a representative as of the human race to be, like, a peace envoy and send out to to welcome the aliens? Oh, my goodness. That's a really or good question. Or whatever. I feel like I'm just thinking about people who I really don't want to do it <laughs> That's what's coming to mind. Yeah, I can think of one in particular. (laughs) So I was thinking about it, and I think either Oprah Uh or Michelle Obama would be my two big picks. I feel like Oprah would be so
0: good. For some reason, I'm also thinking about Ellen DeGeneres, but I feel like that might be the wrong
1: wrong way. (laughs) I feel like she would play a practical joke, and they might not respond to it well. (laughs) Because she plays so many jokes yeah, on people, knowing nothing
0: about their sense of humor or anything, that might be a bad call. But I feel like she would be just like get like lighten the mood and get everyone like laughter is a universal language, right? It's true, <laughs> but, that's very true.
1: But like Oprah knows how to interview people so well, and she's so compassionate. I feel like I feel like I would send Oprah. I would not oppose the Oprah plan. I do like the Ellen plan too, though. Okay, so we have two really good, really good picks. Maybe they can go together.
0: Yeah, play off each other. Notice we're only selecting women. What if we had to send a man?
1: We'd be screwed. Um, no, I'm just kidding.
0: <laughs> I, God help us. I would
1: pick Barack Obama. I would send Obama,
0: for sure. I'm trying to think of someone, like, random, like, I don't know. I, I need to think about
1: this some more. Maybe next week I'll oh, have an even Oh, George story. Clooney. Ooh, I kind of like that a lot, actually. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like he'd be he'd play it cool, you know. Yeah, he'd put the Middies. He'd put on an Armani suit and fall in the pool. Or we should just pick an actor who's <laughs> had to deal with aliens and movies enough that they would like, <laughs> like Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, I don't like that idea. That's funny. Oh yeah, I just thought that was a funny question. I also heard that. Um, this like gave me chills when I read this. So I was like reading a little bit about end of you know, end-of-the-world apocalypse scenarios. <laughs> Just a casual and, <laughs> and I read that, and maybe this is a rumor, but I read that um, CNN announced the last thing, like, their plans for the last thing they would broadcast in case of, like, a world-ending apocalypse. And they said that um, the last thing they would publicly broadcast would be the national anthem, followed by the song Nearer My God to Thee. And that's the, um, last song that the musicians played on the Titanic before it sunk. Oh, wow. Ooh! Doesn't just give you chills? Yeah, now I don't want to hear that song ever. I know! <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, and then I would be so screwed because I never ended up getting LASIKs and my, <laughs> my glasses would break and I would die. I always think about that if I had to plan for an apocalypse, that my contacts will only last me so long. I know,
0: although, so I got contacts right before I quit, um... Or not, But, like, you know, before my health insurance ended or whatever, I went and got, like, a year's supply of contacts, and I still have them. Like, I just never oh my
1: wear God. my contacts.
0: <laughs> They're probably, like, the not even helpful anymore. They're, like,
1: drying up at this point. <laughs> yeah.
0: Not, I don't have a whole year supply, obviously, but like that, that's been like
1: two or three years almost now. Two and a half years. Something else will get me by then before I run out then. (laughs) If you're like me. An evil magic zombie will get me before I run out of contact.
0: Although I think of myself as really clumsy, but maybe I just can't see well enough. And that's why I like run into things and trip
1: over things all the time. (laughs) That's my problem. (laughs) Like before, I put my contacts in, I'm completely useless, and I have bruises all over because I run into things. I always feel like I'm
0: fine until I put my contacts in, or like when I take them off, then I feel like I can't see. But if I wake up and don't put them on yet, I don't feel like I can't see yet. <laughs> I don't know if that makes any sense. Which is probably even worse. I'm like, oh, I I can see fine. fine. I can walk into a wall.
1: So the other thing we said we were going to talk about this um, episode was when Mick and Susanna were talking about their top three reasons for living. Mm-hmm. And I know we didn't get a chance to answer that question last episode. So did you have any, um, speaking of like world ending apocalypse, <laughs> what are your top three reasons for living? Well, first of all, I just love the different games
0: Susanna and Mick play, because I was also, re- in this half of the book, we were, they were playing that, like, your three wishes game or whatever, when they were just, like, mm-hmm. in the caves. and Oh, yeah. And I was reading that while I was, um, my fiancé was in the hospital, so I was just sitting in the hospital in this really uncomfortable chair, and I was like, yeah, I could totally go for a bed and a shower mm-hmm. <laughs> so, <Okay>. right now. <laughs> mm-hmm. But um top three reasons for living. I think one of them would have to be books in general, but YA mm-hmm. books in particular, uh,
1: that was one of mine, too. Yeah. I feel
0: like something food-related, if I had to be more specific, I would maybe pick, like, pizza.
1: Okay. That's funny, because I picked peanut butter. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, peanut butter would be good, too. Mm-hmm. hmm I don't want to live in a world without peanut butter.
0: And then I feel like, hmm, what would my other one be? I don't know. What's your third one? I picked traveling. That's good. I actually was thinking about something related to traveling, but I feel like it would be, like... Or just going on vacation. Yeah. Well, that's all I ever want to do all the time. <laughs> hmm. I'm trying to think of like, I want like something really epic, but I
1: can't think of anything really epic. <laughs> it doesn't have to be epic. I epic. Know. It can be peanut butter. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> peanut butter's good. Reese's cups. <laughs> Reese- no, I want, I like those white chocolate Reese's pumpkins that come out at, um. Ooh, I've never had those. Reese's. Those are my favorite.
1: I like the Reese's cups that have uh, Reese's pieces in
0: them. I haven't had those, but that sounds amazing.
1: Yeah. It's
0: not too much. <laughs> It's just right. I tell you that it's not too much. <laughs> I also feel like just um, I waste so much time like online. I feel like I'd pick like I would need just like useless internet to entertain useless me. screen time, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which is sad to say. I also
1: really like going to the theater. I was thinking I might pick going to the theater. Like I don't know, I love seeing plays and musicals and. I actually I just like being in
0: water like I want to like live by the ocean or a lake or something at some point in my life because just like Hmm. seeing water makes me happy that's like what I miss most about Chicago which is a funny thing to say But the lake being right there
1: (laughs) because the the lake is only warm enough to go in like maybe one week out of the year in like late August and I don't
0: even need to be in it I just want to see it
1: yeah (laughs) it just like sometimes I forget it's there because I never see it
0: my favorite thing in Chicago would be like facing one direction and like looking out at the expanse of like Lake Michigan and then turning around and seeing like a whole huge
1: city and it was just like Mm -hmm. such a cool like it is a cool feeling well speaking of cool places this is a terrible segue but (laughs) I'm so curious where this is going I like how the um, Chimera are now hiding away in the Kirin Caves. Yeah. Well, I was thinking of the hot springs in the Kirin Caves. Mm -hmm. But um, it's just a really cool switch up in terms of location. Yeah. And we have, like, the two armies who are at a very uneasy truce right now, kind of trying to find a way to fight together, the um, Misbegotten and the Chimera Revenants.
0: So I actually, I also looked into, have you ever, have you heard of the Predator Protection Phenomenon? No. It's like a relationship where two species who are supposed to be like predator and prey work together. Ooh. and so because uh, I was just kind of curious about I, I feel like there's some examples of like armies that kind of join against a common enemy, but I was tired of reading about war all the time.
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: I guess there's these two different birds. One's called the kestrel and one's called the jackdaw.
1: Okay, And
0: jackdaws are typically scavengers and they eat kestrel eggs and kestrels mm-hmm. are just kind of these aggressive birds that like to fight everybody. Um, so usually they are enemies. But I guess there are these researchers at the University of Palermo in Italy and in Canada's University of Manitoba that noticed that the birds were actually, like, living together in these old buildings in the Italian countryside. (laughs) Um, And again, like, living together means, like, their nests are right next to each other. So the eggs that the jackdaws eat are, like, right next to where they're also living.
1: And they're not eating them? And they're not
0: eating them. So they've, Hmm. like, basically the kestrels will, like, defend the area for both and the jackdaws won't eat their eggs. And they're both spending, uh. like, less time. Like, they don't have to patrol for predators as often. There's, like, less concern mm-hmm. about safety at home. Like, just, like, it's, like, this communal living arrangement that they all have together, I guess.
1: That's so weird. What's causing it, though? I don't know. Like, so I
0: didn't read enough about, like, if there is something in Italy that's a common enemy or what, or if they've just kind of reached this agreement amongst themselves. They yeah. do say though that, that the <laughs> even though... They are living together and, like, it's kind of peaceful. There's an increase in alarm signals that the birds are making from the, like, shared broods versus if they're separate. So it's kind of like, even though they're living together, they're, like, way more nervous about, you know, if they're safe at home kind of, too. So it kind of just reminds me of this uh, tenuous relationship that we have right now between the angel or the misbegotten and the revenant because... It's like, it's all good until something goes wrong and then it could go really wrong really fast kind of
1: thing. And it did. I yeah. mean, what do they say? The detente only will hold until... Um, it's as strong as the weakest member or something. Yeah, yeah. the deton's only as strong as its weakest member because they had that moment when they first met where... Um, I forget who it was. Someone flashed their hamsas and then someone shot the arrow. The, mm-hmm. Yeah, the arrow, and then Thiago fell in front of them all. And that was like a really bad beginning. And
0: it could have been even worse, except that Akiva does his crazy magic stuff, which apparently right. is seriously bad <laughs> because we have this. These um, stallions, the stallion queen is
1: basically hunting him down and was planning to kill him. Oh my god! I'm gonna have nightmares about them eating that f- blood fruit. Oh yeah, that was
0: <laughs> that was really gross.
1: But yeah, it's uh, she's what's her name? Scarab is the queen of the stallions, and she, which is
0: first of all, not a very pleasant name. <laughs> it's
1: <a> terrible name. <laughs> I like festival, but yeah, I like
0: festival. Scarab. <laughs> so it's festival, her aunt. Oh,
1: that's a good question. Or is festival
0: also her mom. I was kind of confused because, or because festival was the daughter of the previous queen, who's Scarab's grandmother, right?
1: Uh, okay. Or am so I? Or did I'm... I
0: mix that up?
1: Okay. I don't remember. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean,
0: basically, the reason they didn't kill him was because they recognized that it was Festival's kid, and obviously she's important to them somehow. Right. I'm trying
1: to look back at. I don't remember why though. Why she was so important. Okay. So, yeah, because they see that he has Festival's eyes, right? Or something like that. Nightingale,
0: who was the Magus that she didn't inform immediately because she wanted to do it more sensitively, was the first mag- Magus to Scarab's grandmother, the previous queen. Okay. Who had twice set Yaman yeah, Grief, blah, blah, blah. Oh, Nightingale's first sitting had been for Festival, her daughter. Oh. oh. Okay, so I misunderstood that the first time I read it, or the last time I read it. Okay. So, so it's actually Nightingale's daughter is Festival, and Festival's son is Akiva. So it's not in the royal line, but it's still in, like, the powerful magic right. line that's really close to the royal okay. family. Okay. Okay.
1: Oh, good. glad we free that up. Sorry.
0: I, need, I was really confused for a minute, obviously. Yeah, <laughs>
1: same here. So, yeah. Um, yeah. I hope we figure out and, more about the Stellians. And, well, and
0: they seem to have an extremely isolationist view and, like, kind of condescending view of everything else going on. But they also keep talking about this burden and this responsibility that they have that we don't know much about that has something to do with all this
1: magic stuff. Right. And I like how they can communicate with their minds, too. Like, they have... It seems like they are they are the only ones left who can really use magic still. Mm-hmm. And I just want to know what what's going to happen with that, if anything. Well, and it's so funny because
0: when they walk in on Akiva... And, like, Akiba realizes that someone else is there, and he stands mm-hmm. in front of Karu, and she's like, it was weird, he protected her with his body, but not his mind, like, I could have just reached, like, so, and, and she's so confused, because strings. he obviously is using magic in a really, really powerful, and it sounds like, dangerous way, Yeah, and I guess she hasn't figured out
1: that he doesn't really know what he's doing yet. Right, and that's why they wanted to kill him, because they thought, like, someone is using this magic, intentionally, evilly, and it's kind of, like, yeah. in a rogue way, and they wanted to track him down and kind of end him.
0: And really, it's just that he has no idea what he's doing because no one's ever taught him, which kind of sucks, too, for him.
1: Yeah. I like the idea of um, the harp that they talk about that's strung with the life threads of your slain enemies and how, like, she could see his the life thread of both of them and how easy it would be to cut them. Like, that's such a weird way to describe how you can end someone.
0: For some reason, that reminded me of um, the Darkling and, and, like, what we used to talk oh. about with, like,
1: when you kill something
0: magical or powerful and you, like got an amplifier I don't like something about that whole analogy like was reminding me of that kind of mythology or whatever you want to call it from
1: and like stealing their power kind of yeah
0: because it sounded like that harp gave you strength but also could
1: maybe drive you crazy yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which makes sense to me <laughs> a little bit
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah so we have a lot going on we do and I I just, I love that, um, I loved watching the angels and the chimera come together and try to work things out because, I don't know, it's just that moment where, um, you, you know, you see Laraz, especially, starting to kind of be a little bit embarrassed or ashamed of all of the marks on her fingers. Mm-hmm. And she's having those dreams where she cuts her arms off and she's, like, clean again. Yep. Because she can get rid of the marks. I thought about and... researching how to chop both your arms off at the same time, but <laughs> so I
0: decided not to go there after our <laughs> reputation discussion earlier. Uh,
1: thank you. <laughs> that was nice of you. <laughs> when she was talking about that, too, when she was like, how does one cut both of their arms off? I am- immediately was like, oh, no, Katie's going to research
0: that. I wrote it down and then I crossed it off my words.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but you see, like... Lara is kind of begrudgingly um helping the the chimera, like when she uses her wings to warm to warm them in the caves and she's starting to really regret her tallies mm-hmm. um it's just it's it's fun to watch both sides soften a little bit towards each other. and I mean, some of this is happening
0: from proximity for sure. but again, this goes back to even in the previous book how they were. In general, it seemed like more and more angels were kind of like, this isn't what we signed up for. Like, this isn't a soldier thing. This is like crossing a line, like a moral line Mm -hmm. that we're not okay with. And it made them start to question everything, which is, I think, a lot of why the Misbegotten have left the army in part. Yep. And I think it's because you even heard her say, so even though her... Her marks go all the way up her arms or whatever, but um, she said that was all before they destroyed that city whose name I can't think of. Lomardi.
1: Laura Mundy. Yeah, Laura Mundy.
0: Whatever yeah. I can't say it. But um, and think about how many people died there. Obviously, luckily there's yeah. some souls left over, but it's kind of crazy. I know.
1: And she keeps thinking too, like if only Hazel were here, he would have everyone laughing. You know, yeah. he would. He has such a talent for bringing people together, and she really feels his absence.
0: And in some ways, he was, like, the perfect martyr, though, because I think he, even just his memory or whatever is oh, helping yeah. to bring some people around on um, the misbegotten side. Loraz, especially. That's a good
1: point, for sure. Um, and then, oh my gosh, okay, that scene, whenever whenever they were saying the detente's only as strong as the least trustworthy person mm-hmm. on your team, when Hexia um, betrays the Alliance. Yeah. and like That was shocking. I am so proud of Ziri,
0: though, because that was a really crucial moment for him as a leader in general and for maintaining his cover, especially because Hexia is the other person who knew that he... knew yeah, who he was. Yeah, and she kind of was abusing that, too, because she felt like she could get away with it because of that. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's... Yeah, it was kind of crazy. I mean, even to see Laraza's response at the end where she was kind of like... I deserved it, you know, like I'm glad I didn't die, but I deserved all that hatred that she was giving me, whatever happened at that battle, which we still don't know the whole story, but it must have been bad, she and off. she knew um,
1: she knew instantly that it was she deserved. knew why she was yeah, attacking exactly. her. yeah, mm-hmm. we just know that um L'Raz did something to ten or to hexia she killed she killed her, and it was her first time dying, so she she ruined her true flesh, and then she did something bad to the bo- to the body is what I'm thinking. Because Loraz says that, like, when she did it, both her brothers kind of looked at her in a new light, and, and they were just like, what, what the heck are you doing, girl?
0: Yeah, it definitely seemed like a line was crossed there,
1: yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. And so, and how ironic that um Haxayo was like, name me every chimera you killed, account for all of your tallies, and I won't cut your arms off. But then at the end, she was like, this is exactly what I dreamed that I wanted. Like, I dreamt about cutting my arms off, and now... It, like, it was just so ironic that that. Yeah, was what... Yeah, even when she was like, I, so, do I solve, solve
0: the riddle, get a, you know, find a chimera who you killed in her previous skin and do it for you or whatever. It was like, mm-hmm. yeah. No, I mean, that was a really powerful scene on so many levels. Because on, on the one hand, too, it's kind of like, it's good that that all happened because it was the catalyst for a lot of positive things. But if one thing had happened faster or differently or you know everything could have blown up laraz could have died and everyone on the angel side would have freaked out uh mm-hmm. thiago could have been exposed or ziri could have been exposed like so many things could have gone wrong right there and in some ways it sort of was the best solution because he got to replace those people he didn't want to be close to him he kind of had, yep. had an excuse to do that he kept his cover him and laraz have a stronger bond now and the angels i think, respect. Tiago more because he killed one of his own to protect the truce.
1: Yeah, and now there's honestly no one who knows who he really is who could cause trouble. Yeah. Although,
0: let's be real. which is Even weird. people who know who he really is and mean well could <laughs> still cause trouble.
1: Let's be real. That's true, that's true. <laughs> but I am really, I am also very proud of Ziri because I think, like, we see him struggling a lot. Yeah. About how to make people believe he's still Thiago, mm-hmm. and still figure out how to lead these people in the right direction. Mm-hmm. And it's and it's sad because like Carew wants to praise him, but he was saying like it's not exactly a compliment to be like, oh, you're really great at impersonating the maniac who you know tried to rape me. Like, yeah, that's not a compliment. But he is he is doing a good job of trying to maintain this illusion.
0: And it's also, it's interesting to see the other observations of him. Like, um, I think it was Akiba before he knew the secret, because he does know now. But, you know, he was sort of like, he's not completely insane. And he, like, seems to be rational, and, you know, like, mm-hmm. kind of making these observations and, like, having trouble kind of compromising that with his original view of Thiago and also being kind of worried that yeah, that's good but also don't be too out of character because because we don't want you to yeah.
1: be revealed as not
0: Thiago but anyways yeah and it's,
1: it's weird how like Karu notices that Ziri's soul being in Thiago's body just transforms the wolf so much and I mean he always had this beauty but it was like this cruel vicious beauty and now Ziri being behind his soul behind his body is like completely transfiguring him into a completely different person. It
0: actually makes me think like we were just talking about Ziri's original body being discovered and looking like a demon. Like I bet if Thiago's Mm -hmm. soul had been in that body we would have seen it as more of a demon to start with.
1: Ooh, you're probably
0: right. That's
1: so interesting. Because I think wolves are
0: beautiful and I still have so much trouble thinking of Thiago as like, you know, a beautiful creature because of how evil he was. But now I'm starting to see that again more. So, yeah.
1: yeah. I'm also kind of excited about Ziri and Loraz. Mm-hmm. Something went down in those hot springs.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And she, I mean, I get, we talked about her before. Like, she's such an, she's got, she's so hard. She's got so many barriers up. I think it's really cool to kind of see that come peel away a little bit. Come yeah. And I think... And become a
1: little bit more vulnerable. Ziri,
0: too. I mean, I know he, like, had a huge crush on Magical and whatnot, but, like, I want him to be happy, but I also, like, Akiva's there. So, you know, like, it's not like you want, mm-hmm. so it's kind of a cool thing to think about who else yeah. could be there.
1: And I love that um, Karu finally told Akiva everything. Yeah. in that And in, in that they're kind of working towards reconciliation. I mean, the idea of, like, forgiveness is so strong in this book, but it's really like Akiva needs to forgive himself before anything can happen. That's just really holding them back. Well, and even
0: knowing that those souls are there and that there's kind of a chance for redemption.
1: Yeah. um, And
0: again, it's not full redemption, obviously, but, you know, just even a chance to do better in the future. And there is a lot of talk about, you know, the different paths someone's life could take or the different choices you make and how to break different cycles and stuff. And I feel, I mean, even LaRoz, she was the one who suggested just cutting off three fingers of the soldiers so they couldn't fight them back. Like, Mm hey A, brilliant and b like laraz that's like of all the people in this book you know like
1: it's just, showing mercy and yeah, what
0: mm-hmm. it's um things are changing but again this this seems so small scale now like at the beginning i would have thought this could be the whole plot but now we've got like the sky falling
1: the storm hunters are doing something some crazy lady
0: whose family whatever did crazy stuff to her before who's having memories of destroying universes Uh, You know, I mean, like there's, and like Rav's obviously knows more than, like, I feel like all the people we're looking at have kind of a, even though it's a huge issue and they're already like overwhelmed by everything they have to do, they're thinking of it so small scale compared to what seems to be going on.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Which, I mean, and I guess they kind of have to, like, if you want big picture, you would just go crazy. Like, I feel like in this case, you have to start with little steps, like little baby steps.
0: Yeah, and I'm saying even that, it's like overwhelming almost, cause they're still thinking, yeah. like, okay, <laughs> we have to get Jail out of the human world, then we have to defeat him in this world, then we have to bring back all these souls and make peace between these mm-hmm. groups. And they're like, okay, like that's kind of crazy, but we'll start with step one. And then we're hearing on the other side, like, the sky is falling or whatever they're saying. <laughs> and it's like, what does that even mean? <laughs> and apparently there's real beasts that are like. Real monsters.
1: Beyond, yeah. That'll be interesting. I'm just... And we only have half a book left. <laughs> only, but it's still like 300 pages. <laughs> That's true. This is... A, it's a very long one. Thank God. Because we... And I don't think there are any short stories. Or maybe there's one. I know of
0: one, I think, okay. between Susanna and Mick, something.
1: Um. Okay, so I did a little bit of research, too. Okay. This is actually research I did for a previous episode that we didn't get to, so... I'm excited. I will share it this time. Um. Okay, this is from History.com. So I was... Again, I, like, can't let go of the misbegotten army. I just am so fascinated by them. And so I was trying to look up other armies or military units where that kind of were similar to the misbegotten. That's, like, this army of um, bastards bred to fight. And, okay, I came across this military unit that I just thought was so fascinating. So have you ever heard of the Potsdam Giants? I have not. Okay, so this was King Frederick William I., Of Prussia. In 1675, he had a dream to assemble the tallest troops in Europe into an elite army. So he wanted to build an army. Yeah. He wanted to build an army of the tallest men in the world. That would be kind of scary. Yeah. So the original required height was you had to be six feet two inches. That was like the shortest you could be to join.
0: How funny would it be if you're like six foot two and then you like join this group and you're like on the short
1: side? You're the shortest. (laughs) You would be because they said... Several of the men were, uh, seven feet tall, and one was said to have stood eight and a half feet tall. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, this is reminding so, me
0: a little bit, though, of what were those guards called that used to be around the emperor, that they just had, like, the really tall ones who, like, didn't know how to use swords or whatever.
1: Oh, yeah, the, um, I,
0: I forget their names, called, but yeah, ones, yeah, go on.
1: The break swords? Yeah, some, or that, oh,
0: yeah, the, yeah, the guards, whatever. Okay.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> So, uh, Frederick, okay, so King Frederick, he was going, basically using any means possible to find tall men to join his troop, (laughs) and he would, sometimes he would just hire really tall mercenaries, or he would buy tall soldiers off of other military units, or he would just force, he would kidnap tall civilians and forcibly conscript, conscript them into his unit. And he would go around the countryside paying farmer or like paying farmers for their tall farmhands or paying people to give them their sons who are especially tall. That's again, and how guess, is this
0: affected? Like, I feel like if you just brought a bunch of random tall people, most of who didn't want to be there together or who didn't like, okay, anyways, continue.
1: Yeah, well, see, that's what kind of made me um, think of the misbegotten because it was a form of slavery. Yeah. And a lot of men... were not there on their own free will Mm -hmm. so uh, it got to the point where the sons or or, like newborn babies would be marked by a red scarf to identify them if they thought they might become exceptionally tall and so he had like children marked as possible um soldiers for this army and he also would how would they determine that that?
0: sorry i'm like i'm so fascinated
1: by this (laughs) I have no idea. I feel like back then, even now. Uh, Anyways, go on. Sorry. (laughs) Give them lots of vegetables. Um, Yeah. I don't know. Drink a lot of milk. (laughs) He, okay, so he also would urge the men in his unit to marry exceptionally tall women to have exceptionally tall children. So he started this kind of eugenics program almost Uh where it was like he wanted to continuously breed more soldiers who would be very, very tall. And they were saying like it was the first, one of the first instances of a eugenics experiment Mm -hmm. that um, eventually may have inspired the Nazi regime where they were attempting to create, you know, an Aryan master race of like blonde um, blue-eyed German. But this is kind of interesting. So he he loved his military units so much that he never sent them into battle. (laughs) I was just about to ask if they were effective at all.
0: Also, how tall was he? Was he, like, really tall or was he, like, really short? And this was, like...
1: That would be funny, actually, <laughs> if he was a really short man. But they called them lo- Log Curl, which means tall guys or long guys. And he would pay them based by, based on height. So the taller you were, the more you got paid. Um, but it's just... It's so funny because he loved them so much that he refused to send them into battle because he didn't want any of them to get hurt. And they said that um, whenever he was feeling sick or, like, depressed, the only thing that would cheer him up would be if he had all of his soldiers march together through his bedroom. <laughs> so he'd, like, put them on parade to cheer him up. This is and reminding me so would... much of the guards.
0: Lesser than the misbegotten. <laughs> because the misbegotten, or, like, the opposite, he was like, I'm not going to teach you how to use bows and arrows. Just go to the front. We'll replace you with another bastard. If you die,
1: you're expendable. Um, But he was quoted as saying, the most beautiful girl in the world would be a matter of indifference to me, but tall soldiers, they are my weakness. (laughs) So he totally just had a fetish for really tall men. (laughs) That is so Which, funny. Which, I mean, great for him. <laughs> but he definitely had some very questionable practices on how he obtained these men for his army. Yep. That is so funny. But yeah, funny. that was the Potsdam Giants. I thought how many were there? So Do you know? How big was Oh, them? yeah. Okay. So by the time he died, he had 2,500 men in his army. Wow. And it was finally disbanded in 1806 by his son, who was like, oh, I don't even know why we have these. <laughs> his army, I'm canceling this this project. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Sometimes I think it would be so funny to, like, be a king, or something, especially a king who had, like, grown up that way, and you just, like, get these crazy whims and, like, no one, mm-hmm. argue, like, talks you out of it, or even if they, like, you can just decide, I'm gonna bring a bunch of tall people together and make them march through my bedroom, like, that seems like a good
1: idea today. <laughs> I mean, yeah, if you're king, you can do whatever you want. <laughs> even bizarro things like that. Oh, but they also said that he... This is kind of sad. He would sometimes take the men and stretch them on the rack to make them taller, like to make them even taller. So So literally torture. But then he stops. Yeah. But then he stops because I think a a couple of them died from that, obviously. And then he was like, okay, I won't do that anymore because I don't want to harm them. But like, that's how kind of insane he was about, about obtaining the tallest men in the world where he would like torture them to make them taller. That's crazy. Yeah. It's a little sick, but it's a a lot sick. (laughs) Let's be honest; it's sick. But I don't know. It's just interesting to have someone who has that vision that they go to such extreme measures. It's it's sad.
0: Yeah, it is. And especially when you think you're dealing with people like who you know. Yeah, like,
1: yeah, yeah. They're humans, but in it, but it was weird because he loved them but also tortured them. Ah, bizarre. Anyway. And that's so weird, too, because taking away someone's free will, even like, some
0: of those guys probably wanted to be soldiers, and then they couldn't even go to battle because they were just tall, and, you know, I mean, yeah, like, Yeah, and then just, they end up...
1: Yeah. And then you end up being almost like a mockery, right? If you're just being paraded around the countryside um, as the king's special army... That can't fight, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's kind of humiliating in a way, I would think. Mm-hmm. And what if you just fell in love with a short girl. Tough luck. Oh no. Nope, (laughs) nope, nope. Couldn't happen. (laughs) Keep it to yourself. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So what do we think? Okay. Question. Okay. What was your favorite scene? Because we haven't done, um, like we always say, the books when you get made into a movie, what scene would we most want to see played out on the big screen? So what would be your favorite scene so far? I
0: don't know if it would be my favorite scene, but the one I'd most want to see as a movie, and this book especially, would be when they're coming, when the uh, revenants are coming to the Kieran caves for the first time, because I think it'd be so cool to watch them come in to oh, see yeah. all those angels there, and even to see that moment where like the despair ripples through everyone, I think could be like kind of a cool visual also. Mm-hmm. And I think the Kieran caves sound really cool. That might, I guess, they sound awesome. the entryway maybe wouldn't be the most cool place in the Kieran Caves to see just based on some of the other stuff we've heard. But I just, I think that could be like a really beautiful, but also like a heavy emotional scene to watch. What about you?
1: Um, um, I really like, I'm trying to think, I think it would be super cheesy and dumb to see the angel invasion. Just, I think it would look really cheesy to have them all like marching through the Vatican and white robes and harps, so I, I don't think I'd want to see that. Um, I really think I would like to see the showdown between Laraz and Hecia. Mm, that would be good too, yeah. You know, just because it would be such a, te- there'd be so much tension in the scene, mm-hmm. and I think Laraz is like quickly becoming one of my absolute favorite characters, mm-hmm. and just seeing her transformation of again ending the cycle of um, cruelty and war. Where she's just like, no, I deserve that. Let's move on.
0: Yeah, and especially because I'm like Akiva or something who has
1: kind of a personal reason
0: to want to change things. Laras doesn't really. She's kind of lost every. Like I feel like her transformation is almost more powerful as a result of it being like not personal or. S- so I don't mean like selfish because that's wrong to say about Akiva's transformation, but you know what I mean. Like, there's something mm-hmm. even kind of more powerful about it not being about Love an immediate. Gra- like, there's not like in the future she sees like this will give me X. Like, it's just she's starting to realize that she can't keep going this way in her life. Right,
1: right. It's like it's a very real kind of form of growing. Mm-hmm.
0: So, okay, here's another – I have a funny question for you. So when Eliza is going um, on the plane and doesn't even know where she's going to be yet, she's kind of talking about how – She's like if I were in a movie I would like be able to read the stars because everyone like has all these random skills that are perfect in a situation and like my only random skills I have horror like horror movie screams and I know how to use a scaffold <laughs> like that's so she just but I was just thinking like what are my random skills and like what would the like random adventure I'd have to be cast in where my random skills would come into place be <laughs> so I was, I was wondering if you have any thoughts on what your random skills are
1: <laughs> a random skill well does it doesn't have to be- be one that would useful be useful in turn when a, an apocalypse happened?
0: not necessarily i think that was kind of the point she's like it's all like oh i like worked on a boat one summer and learned how to read the stars and now i'm lost and like can read the stars and get home but it's like oh, of course like <laughs> randomly you knew how to do that you know um and she was kind of like my random skills i don't know if there'll ever be a situation for it but i can use a scaffold and i can scream <laughs> <laughs>
1: Um, okay, random skill. Okay, I'm really good at building IKEA furniture. That's actually <laughs> impressive.
0: I can hold seven tennis balls in my right hand. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know when that's going to come in handy, but I practice every few months just to make sure I can still do it. You still got yeah, it. <laughs> like, upside down. Like, I can, like, hold them, not, like, stack. Oh my them. god, that's amazing. Yeah. I, again, I don't know when it's going to come in handy, but once I find a way, I'm going to make millions yeah i was gonna say
1: like if you just had seven dogs that you could just throw tennis balls for you would make their day
0: well i can't even throw one tennis ball asked toby but, um, <laughs> yeah <laughs> what random
1: i don't skills? know if i have any other random schools like that
0: well we're, we're actually like if i feel like if i were in a random book i'd have enough of these random stories where i'd be like oh i actually like did knife throwing once <laughs> you know that's (laughs) true but I'm not actually good enough at any of those things but I've done enough random stuff where if you made it if I actually developed those skills for real I could have an interesting backstory
1: or you just learn so much from reading different (laughs) books and then I try to apply it in real life and I'm like well I read this in a fantasy series and it worked (laughs) then I feel Uh, like
0: I would just do that I I know how to pit pocket people because I read a couple articles about it and (laughs) how to survive if I fall through a lake a frozen lake
1: (laughs) And I know exactly how long to wait to wait before cutting off a crippled limb—longer <laughs> than thirty
0: minutes. <laughs> Longer, yeah, that's the moral of the story. Longer
1: than thirty minutes.
0: Well, have you read the book *The Hatchet*? Oh, oh yeah, I love that, that like book. That's like the most obvious example. I'm like, oh, this guy randomly gets in a plane crash, but he, luckily he had his hatchet on board. <laughs> like, <laughs> I still think it's a really good book, and I like it a lot. But that is like the—that <laughs> kind of fits into this whole idea where I'm like, the like one random like, what are the odds? that <laughs> they knew how to do this skill or had this item
1: handy or whatever it was. Yeah, thank God he had it. <laughs> <laughs> it would have been a short book otherwise. I haven't read that book since, like, fourth grade, but I remember it very vividly.
0: <laughs> and they don't even let you fly with a hatchet these days, so... <laughs> yeah, I know.
1: So we're all doomed. Uh, okay, so anything else? Um, nothing in particular.
0: I feel like there's just still a lot going on, and there's still a lot of humor. Like, I love that about this book. I, I still, I, I think... Zuzanna and Mick are one of my favorite, like, elements of the story to make it lighter. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say that, like, Suzanne is my favorite character because I don't think she has as much depth or isn't necessarily as interesting, but I just, I love how she kind of balances out some other things. Like, I even love when they were talking about, like, how Kairu is so boring and needs to get, like, a new skill because, like, like, just, like, she, like, goes up on these random tangents and, like, makes everyone laugh and, like... Helps, mm-hmm. I don't know, so much of that stuff, so.
1: They're much needed. They're, I mean, at first I was a little, I don't know, sometimes they get a little bit annoying just because of how, like, lovey-dovey they are. Yeah. <laughs> but I think that they are critical for making this, um, detente work, because mm-hmm. they do bring a little bit of humor.
0: And I even think with that, like, yes, it's annoying, but it's kind of, they, it's like everyone acknowledges it's annoying, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, even they kind That's of acknowledge true. it's annoying, and, um... It is kind of just, nice compared to all these, like, really complicated relationships and everything. Yeah. But it's also, I'm kind of like, why are they even here? Like, part of me still thinks they should why not have been Why are they here? Brought. Where are their
1: parents? Because, yeah. I mean, if they were in their 20s, I almost feel like this would, book would be better if they were older. Mm-hmm. Because they're, like, 17. Yeah. And they are talking about getting married, and it's just like, okay, you need to slow down. Yeah. Like, slow your roll. You're 17. And and your parents are just fine with you being, you know, MIA in, in Morocco. Especially
0: and, when they're making plans to, like, seal off the world. It's not like they're gone for yeah. a few weeks. <laughs> like they're like literally in another universe in a war that has nothing to do with them and they have they don't even have like anything like they don't again have any of these skills that would be helpful they're not samurais like they were joking about being samurais or whatever like i don't
1: know it is nice though that they have a very uncomplicated relationship because again like all the other relationships are so complicated i mean like for example when you see ziri finally Um, confessing to Karu that he does have feelings for her and she kind of makes it clear that she does not. Like, that was a really sad moment and, like, a a sad part of the book because you really, like, want him to have a happy ending. Although I'm hopeful he will, something will happen between him and Laraz. Yeah. Oh, we also learned that um, Akiva figured out how to make the, um, a magic of the Hamsa disappear. Yeah,
0: that's exciting. Although I also was kind of nervous if that would make so the revenants are already outnumbered, and, like, if they would make them nervous that they have, and they're, like, in the inter- interior of the cave, that would actually make some things worse. But it seems to be going well so far and actually bringing them together and more trusting of each other. And I think if they, if these armies really are able to integrate well, like, that's awesome and great and wonderful, but I'm still just so nervous that it's such a tenuous balance right now of... Trust mm-hmm. and whatnot, but I feel better now that Ten's dead.
1: <laughs> and I think yeah, there's a much better chance. Yeah. Ooh. okay. Let's keep reading and see what happens. Okay, except yeah, So we finish the book for next that week. It's gonna be over, and then we'll be sad for a long time. And I have to tell you a joke. Yay! I wrote a bunch down because I keep forgetting about the joke portion, and I, that would be just devastating to me. Maybe we should add joke dad jokes to our top three reasons for living. <laughs> I actually think we should, 100%. Okay. (laughs) I heard a rumor the other day about the Canadian Prime Minister. I'm not sure if it's Trudeau. (laughs) (laughs) That's so dumb. (laughs) I told that to my coworker the other day, and she just died laughing. (laughs) I love that.
0: That's totally my kind of humor.
1: Oh man! I always test out my. I test a lot of my dad jokes out on my coworker because she really likes um, YA fiction. And actually, we've been doing this thing at work where we have like sections of work that we have to turn in, and we've and they've been very challenging lately. And we've started naming them after YA villains. <laughs> love it. <laughs> yeah, we have like a Bellatrix the strange. We have a Dolores Umbridge. We have a Lavana <laughs> and, we, and we just got to a section that has been just the absolute worst. And she was like, I can't think of anyone bad enough to name this section after. And I, and she's read these series too. And I was like, Thiago. <laughs> and she was like, yes. There's nothing redeeming about it. So yeah, we named our work section after <laughs> Thiago in <and> these
0: books. <laughs> I love it. Oh, that reminds me though, we still have to come up with our fan name. So for next week,
1: any oh. listeners
0: who have suggestions, uh, please share them, because <laughs> I have nothing good oh right God. now.
1: Me either. Okay, I was trying to think about it, and I kept coming up with nothing, because it's not like... there. First of all, there's no fan name that exists currently for the fans, and secondly, it's like, there's so many obscure things happening in this book, but you still want it to make sense. Mm-hmm. And I
0: there's, like, so many different
1: I'm sides, lost. and they're not all...
0: Like, there's not, like, one good guy side Right. Yeah. Because
1: at first I was like, oh, we should be angel lovers or demon lovers. But then I was like, well, which one do you pick? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I'll be angel lover and you can be demon lover? lover. Beast lover, right? Beast lover. <laughs> that just sounds like Yeah, bad. that does. I don't, wanna, I don't want a t-shirt with that on it.
0: <laughs> but isn't that what they call Akiva? It's beast lover, not demon lover.
1: <laughs> they call him beast bane.
0: And then beast lover when they were, um... Wasn't that also part of it? Because they don't call them demons in their world.
1: Anyways, <laughs> this is yeah, a weird true. tangent now. I don't know.
0: I don't know. <laughs> Back to the drawing board.
1: I, this is yeah. not our answer. People see you wearing that and walking your dog and they're like, um <laughs> Should we be cons- should be intervened. If I make friends wearing that
0: shirt, I probably don't want those friends or something. Exactly. Oh, oh man. Okay. Okay, let's finish reading. Um, Keep thinking of a um. fan name. And um
1: yeah. Anything else? We'll go from there. No. Thanks, everyone, for listening. If you want to get in touch with us, you can email us at mnktalkya at gmail.com. Everything's spelled out. And we're also on Instagram and Facebook at mnktalkya. And if you want to give us a rating on iTunes, that would help us. Um, We'd really appreciate it. But we'd also just love to hear if you want to send us dad jokes or recommendations for what series you'd like us to read or fan uh, name really like to hear from you. or fan name help us out guys please. really anything <laughs> we love to talk to anything guys, so. uh, yeah and we respond to every single message we get yep on that note that's all i have bye bookworms go get a library card